A 22-year-old hero is recognized, and we take some time to sit down with one of Tennessee's greatest advocates for election integrity, Kathy Harms. We discuss the flaws within our current voting process, what needs to change, and a few useful tips to help you while you're at the polls. I'm John Fender, along with Gary Humble and Kevin Kukaji. This is the Freedom Matters Podcast. I came to the table with something today. You always come to the table with something, well, John. Well, that's not true. Gary, yeah, that's not true. Gary, Gary likes to say I come to the table with the stupid questions. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Don't throw me into that category. I would never be so I rough. still staunchly believe that there's no such thing as a stupid question. That's right. Yeah, it's, that's that's right. Don't that's, humor me, Gary. That's, don't, no, that's good. Don't humor me. Uh, but I, I want to come to the table this today. <clears throat> I think there's a hero that needs to be recognized. Um, I don't know if you guys saw the story about the Indiana mall shooting. Oh, yeah. The 22-year-old. This kid. Oh, it, good shot, too. So I, it's it's funny. I can't figure out if his first name is Elijah or Elisha. Because it has a J and well, an S. Well, it's spelled three different ways depending on what article you read. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's either. It's one of the two. I wish I knew what it really was because I want to recognize this kid. But his last name's Dickon. So Elijah or Elisha Dickon. Yes. It's a great story. The kid did in 15 <clears throat> seconds what 400 cops in Uvalde, Texas couldn't do in an hour. Yep. The shooter came out of a bathroom and within 15 seconds, Elijah, Elisha, and his girlfriend were walking into the food court. The sh- shooter walks out of the bathroom into the food court, opens fire, and within 15 seconds, Elijah had drawn his 9 millimeter. And fired 10, ten rounds and landed eight, eight of them, of them. <laughs> from, from 40 yards yes, away. That's the, that's the amazing now, thing. Now, 40 this yards kid is going away. to the range. But keep in mind, this kid's 40 y- yards away. He's only 22 years old. He's moving, the shooter's moving, and there's mass chaos going on around yep. him. And he lands eight out of 10 shots in the guy. And from what I read, he also, <clears throat> and he's had no police training, no, no military police training, training, no military training. But he was also clearing out everybody else and with his other while hand. While he was firing, he going was moving towards, towards the, so he's tactically moving towards the shooter yeah. and motioning for people to exit while he's doing this and landing eight rounds out of ten. Yeah. Totally impressed, John. I and agree. then on top of that, he then tells all of the press, well, then he immediately, uh, after it's all done, he immediately goes to mall security and identifies himself. So he did like everything by the book, exactly like it should be done. Then on top of that, he tells all the press, he's not doing any interviews until all of the families of victims have had a chance Come to, on, huh? to either bury their loved ones or take care of the ones that are in the hospital and get it all settled. Then he'll talk to the press. Wow. Like, Character. Not only are you handle business under a pressure. tactical badass, but you have, <laughs> you yeah. have integrity as well. Yeah. So... I got all this information because I was listening to the Clay and Buck show and Clay Travis was talking about it. And Clay actually said, I don't even want to interview the kid. I want to interview the kid's parents yeah. <laughs> because obviously they did something right yeah. and I want to know what that is. How do we replicate that? So anyway, I just I, that's all I wanted to, to bring to the table. But I, I wanted to make light and make sure this kid gets recognized every single chance we get because this is what happens when a good guy has a gun. Yeah, totally agree, John. When the story came out, I was impressed enough. But then when I found out that he had done it with a handgun, yeah, I didn't even know it was a nine millimeter. I was curious about that because mm-hmm. a lot of the stories I read it didn't describe. But I'm thinking, eight out of ten rounds in an active shooter situation, going toward the guy without any training, just and we all—it's inspiring. It like, makes yeah. me—it makes me want to get to be better, a better shot. Yeah, would would we be ready in that situation? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. We all carry, but like. You'd like to think that's what you're going to do in a situation like that, but but would you? Like, would you draw your gun and, like, start walking towards the... I don't know. 
It's I a, hope, it's a I weird, hope so. I hope we would yeah. too, but it, it's you don't know until you're in that situation, <clears throat> and this kid did it. So Wow. Every yeah. company in Kudos. America right now should be trying to figure out how to hire this kid for <clears throat> yeah. something because he's, he's a leader. That he's was a real something deal. else that was said in a group that I was in a couple of days ago. They said, I want to hire that kid as my personal security. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Um, what are we talking about today? I think we're talking about election stuff. Okay. Election integrity. And Kevin wanted to bring a guest. Kathy Harms, dear friend of all of us in the studio and a dear advocate, um, forceful advocate for liberty in Williamson County. Not really she just is in a Williamson. forceful advocate. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good yeah. way to describe Kathy. I like that. Yeah, and not only here in Williamson County, but all across Tennessee and all across America. Kathy's influence is far beyond what anyone would imagine by looking at her. <laughs> She's rolling her eyes, but I tell the truth. I'm not going to sit here and make up stories. And so I asked John and Gary a couple of weeks ago, getting close to election time, if we could bring in Kathy because she has been particularly engaged in election integrity. And um, I sometimes get overwhelmed with the information that Kathy provides and emails, all the detail. I'm like, I have to save that for after work to read it because I don't have time during the workday. Mm-hmm. Such good detail. So in particular, I wanted to talk about paper ballots and what Kathy has been doing with regard to getting paper ballots to be allowed. We're going to talk about um, what happened in Murray County and then uh, open it up from there. Okay. So, Kathy, you want to start and kind of tell the history of why we're here and and what little window of opportunity has opened for us in the elec- in election integrity um, space? Well, we're here because they federal government got involved in elections. That's how I look at it. After the 2000 election, and they got involved with trying to electronically control our elections, thinking that technology by itself is a good thing. And not all technology is bad, but technology in our elections has turned us into a circus. And after the 2020 election, we saw ballots everywhere. It wasn't the paper. And that's the thing that um, people want to get, oh, if we have paper ballots, we're going to have all these problems. The problem is we don't have paper that has good technology. We don't have paper that's controlled. And in most cases, we don't have paper at all. And in uh, the state of Tennessee, 67 counties do not even have a paper audit trail. So... Uh, what they thought, well, what we'll do is we'll get a paper audit trail, and that's what they did in Williamson County. So let me slow you down. What does it mean to not have a paper audit trail? There are old machines that are out there that are electronic that turned up after the 2000 election that are called direct recording electronics. And they actually, you go in and you record your vote, but there's no paper. It's all electronic. And so if something were to happen at the end of an election, you'd have no way to go back and audit. And of course, that's a bad system. Everybody recognizes that's a bad system. But the replacement for that bad system is almost worse in some ways because they're just as vulnerable just as hackable, just as many uh, problems with them. And the let me, I'll get to what's really come up recently. And that is um, a man named Alex J. Halderman from the University of Michigan. He's been around a long time. He's hacked machines for, for a long time. These new machines- For a living. For I mean, a he's living. supposed to hack yeah, them. Yeah, that's what he does. And he goes to this thing called DEF CON every year. And mm-hmm. at any rate, what happened is that he was involved in a lawsuit since 2017 in the state of Georgia over what are called ballot marking devices. That's supposed to be the new upgrade from this DRE, which is it produces a paper ballot. 
So okay. you go in and it's like you're, you're voting on an iPad and then a piece of paper spits out. And it's, it has a QR code or a barcode right. or something. And then you walk over and they right, and you slide, slide it into, into a tabulator. Yeah. Uh-huh. And in this process, you have from the, in my opinion, from the minute you walk into a polling station to the minute you walk out, everything is up for grabs, everything. And what happened when they went to ballot marking devices is, the, first of all, the voter can be in, take, taken in from any place in the county because they can program that ballot marking device for any ballot anywhere in the county. But to do that, you have to have poll books that are online so that you can tell that Kevin didn't vote all over the county. So that's number one. But then when you get to the ballot marking device itself, and J. Alex Halderman looked at this thing, and he got in, none of us have been allowed. This stuff runs off of proprietary software generally. And even if it's not, even if it's open source, most people don't know how to look at it. Well, he was allowed because of this um, lawsuit in, in Georgia to crack open the machine. One of the first. Not our government didn't do this. Not Mm -hmm. some election commissioner didn't do this. This had to be done by a third party only because he had access for the lawsuit. And what he found, he found to be so disturbing that he asked the judge who had him under a gag order if he could release this information to the Department of Homeland Security in in SISA, which is the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency of the United States of America, which he did. And so go back— 2017 is when that was released, or that was when the lawsuit was filed? That was when the lawsuit was filed. So when was that released? It was just recently released to us. We do not know how long the federal government had it. However, because of another lawsuit, he did a declaration. Even though he's under a gag order, he's involved in another lawsuit. So he's allowed to put together a declaration, which was 21 pages, which I have. And in that declaration, he outlines all of the issues with these ballot marking devices, the new iteration that says, okay, we're going to get more secure by creating a paper ballot. The problem is we're, who's creating the paper ballot? Mm-hmm. We have one vendor who does that, and then from that paper ballot, that vendor also tabulates When you say it. we have one vendor we, across uh, the country, or are you talking about who, Tennessee what, right now? Tennessee, well, whatever system is chosen for every county, it's controlled by one vendor. I got it. There's five vendors allowed in the state of Tennessee right now. But when you buy that or that system, that system is in control of your entire county. So what Halderman found, because everyone said, okay, well, this is great. We just had a problem with an election right here in Williamson County in October. Right. And we did a hand count, recount. Oh, everything's fine because you did a hand recount. Well, not so fast, says Halderman. He says the voter intent is not usually caught by the voter because your brain tells you when you hit print at home, your computer's going to print what you saw on your computer. Mm-hmm. Your, your, your printer's going to print. Well, at any rate, what he found was that's not so fast. That's not necessarily what happens. It can be changed, and the voter doesn't catch it. I think it's something like uh, the majority of voters only look at their ballot for a second. And he did a, a study. Uh, you know, a, a study through the University of Georgia, and he brought people in to look at their ballot, and only 14% of the people in the study could find the errors on the ballot. So he was alarmed by that to say, if you cannot guarantee the voter intent when the ballot is printed, you can do hand recounts 100% all day long, and you're not you're not going to have right. a fair election. <clears throat> so what kind on that test? What mm-hmm. kind of information was changed? Was it 
different candidate and was it visible on the paper ballot or was it all hidden well, that in that QR question, code? Because I don't remember seeing, like when I voted that last time, <clears throat> it spits out the thing that I go over and put into the right. tabulation. But that thing it spits out, I don't remember it having actual, I just remember it having a the code. QR code is all I so remember So how would seeing. I know? So, so on, the, on the Dominion machines, that's exactly how it was. The paper that it spit out at you did not have all of the 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 names right. of the candidates that you can that read. You voted for. It just had a little bit of information and a QR code that went into a scanner. Right. So we got rid of Dominion machines at the end of last year <clears throat> in the in Williamson County and now we're using ESNS machines. The what makes the ESNS machines just a little bit different is that the paper so when you go vote this time, uh-huh. it's gonna be different. You're gonna get and this is a nuance, but the Dominion would put out an, an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. This puts out like a little thinner receipt looking piece of paper. And it's going to, you're going to be able to read. It itemizes your votes. It itemizes your votes. Okay. Says, exactly. All right. So that's, that's, that's pro- marginally better, but what's Mar- the problem? But with you it then? still don't know if the barcode is could, reading what you're reading. It could print something reading. different than what it, than what the machine is yes. reading. Or what the code that the tabulation machine reads has encoded in it. On Dominion, on that, Eight and a half by eleven. It did have the candidate's name, but it doesn't have that you vote that you supposedly voted for. However, it doesn't tell you what races they. You know, you you just don't know what everybody else was. So it, you're. I not, don't even remember seeing the candidates. I don't either. They are. Either. They're there because I was involved in the hand count that we did in okay. October. So mm-hmm. uh, we read those. The problem was, as you say, you have a barcode or QR code plus a candidate's name, and because of the way these are printed. And because of the study that was done and because of the way people are programmed in their brain, they're not catching the errors. So technically, even if the name is on there, it can it can be changed. It can be um, instead of Kevin, Gary's name would be put on there. And it, it, that would and, be a good thing, actually. <laughs> <laughs> might be. But however, the other problem is the either the QR code or the barcode. Now, there's one little fail safe on the ballots that we have right now, and it doesn't fix the problem. Is that when you in, on ESNS, and I would want everybody in Williamson County to know this, is when you go to vote now in the elections that we're in, once your little paper ballot comes out, you have the ability to put it right back in and to see if the barcode read exactly, because that's the other thing. Did the bar is the barcode really matched up to Gary's name? How do you know that? Okay, so tell us how to do that. Yeah, You're I saying am. we can do this at the polls now? Yes, you can. It's a feature of ESNS. It's designed mostly for the uh, visually impaired, but it is in the, you know, you can't get this. I mean, it's not, it's public information. So, so after you pick all your candidates and you hit confirm, right, it, it shows you on the screen. Do you, are you sure? Are you sure? Mm-hmm. You hit confirm, then it prints out the receipt. And at that point... You can do what with that receipt? You can reinsert it where it came from. It came out. In, this is inside your curtained it, it, off it, it, right booth? In the, right in the booth. Okay. And what will happen if you reinsert it, those names will, you'll be able to see if those names are what was read by the barcode because the barcode is what's reading that. They're not, the machine's not reading names, it's reading the barcode. This is, an, this is an automatic thing. You don't. There's no button you have to push, you just slide it right back you in. You can slide it back in. Once you've confirmed that it's correct, you hit, there's a next prompt. Once so another, hit, con, so it's like a double confirmation, right? Process. So when you hit next, it'll pop it back out. Then you can take, you know, be directed by your poll worker to take it to where it gets tabulated. So at least we have one little stopgap right now, but it doesn't tell you then what's going to happen on the tabulation on the process, right. because mm-hmm. as Joe Biden said, it's who's counting the votes. Right. 
Mm-hmm. So, but going back to the, what are, why is this all so important? Well, and, I want to, I want to point out something too, though, before we move any further. And the important point is that this lawsuit that you're referencing and that we're sort of talking about is, was 2017. And I think that's an important point to make mm-hmm. because uh, when we talk about election integrity, I, I know when I bring that up in a meeting, I mean, every now and then you get a person that you can see in their eyes. They're like, oh, goodness, you know, all this guy cares about is 2020. And it didn't. But the the, the bigger point to make is we've had issues with these, these machines way before 2020. 20, the 2020 presidential election is not the only time in American history <laughs> no that we've kidding. had to be concerned about election fraud. And I just think that's an important part of the conversation. Folks have been looking into these machines for a long time. And you can even go back uh, in in some earlier years and find people like Hillary Clinton decrying the machines, you know, mm-hmm. that that they were Democrats were losing because of fraud, because of the machines. Of course, now Bernie in, Sanders. Yeah, that's most people will admit now that that's exactly what happened to Bernie Sanders in 2016 and why Hillary won the primary. So I just want to make the point that having issues with these machines is is nothing new and it's something we ought to be paying attention to but continue. and both and as you uh, noted both sides of the aisle whether you're a republican democrat or independent you should be concerned because we have a constitution that gives us the right to vote and we have a, a vested interest in knowing that what happens with that vote is reflecting our voter intent and that it is and that is counted the way we cast it the way i always say it is that you can you need to authenticate your voters you need to have an authenticated ballot and you have to authenticate the count and you need to know that all three of those match up and when you have one vendor from the ballot to the count involved you're leading first of all a vendor you're outsourcing your election in my opinion to a vendor and why are we outsourcing it because when you're dealing with these machines as gary noted you're dealing with electronics and the people running our Elections in the state of Tennessee are not a bunch of software IT specialists. If they don't read the software, they don't check after an election, did the software do what the software said it was going to do. There's thousands, if not millions, of lines of code. And I can barely operate my my iPhone or my <laughs> I mean, ask my husband. <laughs> and so for me to be able to check this process as a voter, we are becoming an expert class versus the citizens and the framers of our constitution couldn't as the as an example from this Texas lawsuit says they could no more have ever imagined these kinds of machines than they could have imagined the threat from an atomic bomb right. you know we didn't have this kind of capability so my the question becomes what should we do what should we do because now that let's say you could even validate what's on your ballot for a hand count right. we don't have 100% hand counts so these things go through a tabulator. We have these things called risk-limiting audits that no one that's serious about election integrity takes seriously because risk-limiting audits are a very small amount of ballots that get hand-counted, recounted. And if it's a close election, you can easily miss and, not, and still have the wrong winner. People are willing to lose if they know that the person that they lost to won fair and square. Right. And that's the point. <clears throat> so what I've been involved with is I have spoken with this representative, Mark Fincham. He's running for Secretary of State in the state of Arizona. And uh, we've met with other states in in Texas, in Dallas, with a company called Authentics, which is not a ballot company, but it is a company that authenticates currency around the world. And if if companies will allow you, or banks allow you to authenticate their currency, 
they took on the challenge to come up with a ballot that could be just as safeguarded mm-hmm. as 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 currency because it is it's the currency of our republic yeah, in my opinion mm-hmm. so the ballot itself what we've been advocating for is this ballot it has eight gates of security that can go into it and some of them you can see just like on a dollar bill and some of them you can't see but one of the most intriguing and important pieces of this is it has a control number on it you can call them a randomized identification number or serialization but they're random and so every single ballot is accounted for before the actual election starts mm-hmm. they're pre-printed you know by precinct and they have an identifying number on them. So when you go to vote and you're hand, they're hand-filled, you hand-fill this ballot out, then after you're done filling it out, it should go either into a, if it's a tabulator, electronic, these tabulators have the capacity to take a picture. Right. And we found that out in Georgia because Garland Favorito got a law passed down out there that's um, SB202 that makes ballot images public record so we can get our hands on them problem is they don't have any identifying numbers on them. But if we did the same thing, basically had a law that allowed these to become public images, after an election, when the polls close, every one of the ballots images can be uploaded. And if the number of ballots are accounted for prior to the election, all the spoilage is taken into consideration. Every single spoiled ballot or duplicate, whatever, goes through the same scan. Mm-hmm. Every number of every ballot in every precinct could be uploaded and you could find your ballot. Nobody would know Hmm. who you are because they're randomized. You're just handed a ballot. They could find out who you are in the current system if they really wanted to, but it's a randomized ballot. So Gary, Kevin, John, you could look up your ballot and say, that's my ballot. It was counted the way I cast it. Nobody touched it. And you could count the whole, you could count your precinct, you could count your county, you could count the entire state. To me, that's the safest way that we have right now Honestly, I would prefer that it goes through a just a digital image uh, machine that mm-hmm. can check it for authenticity and do a hand count. Right. We have great, great procedures for hand counts because I was involved here in Williamson County. And we could do them, as Gary always says, you can have them all done by midnight because we're, we're counting by precinct. I mean, we did, what, 4,000 ballots in a couple hours yeah. in, in October. And Florida proved that you could hand count. <clears throat> In presidential election, and they had no problem doing that. Hmm. And by the way, we've had we've had Garland Favorito on the show a few months ago, and, and kind of talked through that process. And yeah, we, it's brilliant the work he's doing down there in Georgia. But I just wanted to make another pull out another point you made that I think is critical, uh, which I actually hadn't really thought about before. When you think about the machines and how complicated the process is, you you brought up the fact that well, how many people in the county can read? the lines of code and have the um, uh, the education or the, the intelligibility to be able to decipher if fraud is taking place or not and how to do an audit. And that made me think it's not only the process itself, whether or not it's it could be fraudulent. It's the fact that the process has become so complicated that it's taken – the ability out of the hands of the voters to be able to authenticate and audit their own vote. And I think that in and of itself is a tremendous problem whenever the people are engaging in their constitutional duty to vote in members who are going to represent them. And that and 
I mean, in the most ideal sense, that vote belongs only to the people. Votes don't belong to governments. They belong to people Mm -hmm. for it is the way that we check their power. Mm -hmm. But they've created a system by which now has become so complicated that it's impossible now for the people themselves to be able to authenticate the vote that is taking place. Like you say – we must now trust some third party, some vendor that has said expertise to tell us whether or not, quote unquote, our votes are valid. Right. So that's in the a most, problem. So in the most important sector, Kathy, you use the term, this is the currency, right, of our, you could say currency of our republic, currency of our freedom, right? It's it's the mechanism by which everything else matters and doesn't if we don't have elections with integrity, it removes, like everything else in government, all these elites do, our ability to self-govern, right? We are no longer a self-governing people. And some people, whether it's election officials, county officials, and many citizens, have surrendered that. It's not just that it's been taken away, although it's, it's been made so complicated that people just say, oh, what the heck, I'll just trust them. If there's any person I wouldn't trust, it's someone who's counting my vote. Because how oh, wait a minute, Kevin, but we're in Tennessee. <laughs> These oh, are good right. people. It's that's good right. People All in Tennessee, good people. Kevin. We don't. No election fraud in Tennessee. That's right. It's funny the lines you can draw between uh, this the election integrity problem and the Second Amendment issue, where it's kind of the same picture, different vehicles, but the same picture. Oh, yeah. You've got them wanting to take the guns away or the initial second amendment idea was that our government could never outgun the population well we've obviously gotten to that point i mean the military outguns us for sure but as citizens we still have arms right but they there's they're wanting to get rid of those as well comparison they do but they're they're wanting to get rid of those as well and then we have to trust this third party which is i.e the state police or whatever it is that they come up with to for we have to just trust this to to take care of us. It's, it's, it's the same idea with I mean it's the same as, mindset as, as we're already trusting them with our elections. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Correct. And it's th- the same mindset of, for both issues. And think about how this was how good, you John. start how you start see, this sure. episode, John. Actually, captures a perfect picture of that. If you trust the government, you're going to get an Uvalde situation. Right. Nineteen people dead when perhaps no one had to die, right? You had a police chief who's in there negotiating with the leftist belief that you can talk people out of their evilness, right? And then you have the citizen in Indiana within 15 seconds takes out a guy before he can take out more than three. And that's the difference if we would return to a system where we have actual voter integrity and where we can be a self-governing people and not assign that to experts – we're going to have the equivalent of Indiana, right? We might have a couple of problems, but we terminate them. Whereas if we give this power to corporations that are in bed with the, the government, we'll have the election equivalent of Evaldi. Yeah, exactly. And what have we been dealing with for the last two years with COVID, the expertitis? I think that yeah. the same issue is true. And it, let's talk about those experts for a few minutes. This, the the gobbledygook of alphabet agencies that are out there now supposedly overlooking our elections. You have the electronic um, EAC that Mark Goins, who's our state election coordinator, belongs to. And go back just to October, the problem in Franklin. It was a poll watcher that caught the tape was wrong. And because we sent experts in to look at the machines prior to the election, 
the first thing that was noted was, well, that's not the software that we that we inspected. But then you go back to the experts who are supposed to certify this. And so we kind of knew that we had this uncertified situation. But did they what did they do? They certified the election. And what did they do? They took this whole thing four months up to Nashville. It took four months, the EAC, the people from Dominion, everybody to come back in February to tell us what we already knew. We had uncertified software configurations that were used in that election. And oh, gee whiz, guess what? That's against Tennessee code. They broke the law. There Mm. is actually a Tennessee code that says you cannot run an election on uncertified software configuration. Well, if nobody can tell you that it's uncertified, because they wouldn't have said anything. What does the law even matter? What, and if the law can't be enforced, because what's going to happen four months later, it's like the presidential election that we're still just looking at right. from 2020. You're back to the expert telling you that this is how it should go. And, is, and who's who's um, watching the expert? So tell us what's happening hmm. during this election cycle in Murray County. There's been mm-hmm. – it's kind of breaking news in the past couple of weeks. Correct. Um, back last fall, the uh, election commission in Murray County received RFPs from more vendors. Because, which means? Which means they put it out for bid to these different vendors to bring in updated election equipment. They're on the DREs, but they're on the kind that probably the first iteration of them. They're very, very old, and they're really not even serviceable anymore. So they brought these guys in. But the election the DREs that have paper or they, that are, don't don't have paper don't the, have paper. The, the direct recording okay. the one that didn't so they're looking to improve update so the election administrator brought in the, the vendors to because in this is how this is the other thing how it works in the state of Tennessee we have a really no very little control over what happens in our elections because nobody involved is actually elected. I mean, just think about that. We're running elections by people who aren't elected because the secretary of state's not elected. The state election coordinator's not elected. The election administrator's not elected. And the election commissioners aren't elected. So now you have all these appointed people. And the election commissioners really are just more like volunteers. They're they're, they're people like us. We have three Republicans, two Democrats right now. There's five in every county. Well, these uh, three Republicans did their homework in back last fall. And they did, they knew all the questions to ask of the vendors, and they decided, you're not giving us the answers we want, so we're not buying. We're not, we said no. They said no. Well, that caused a little bit of a turmoil because now what are they going to do? They wanted to go to a, the secure handmark paper ballot that they were mm-hmm. aware of from Mark Fincham, but they decided to ease into it. So this election cycle, they're still using the old equipment, but an individual came to one of the uh, election commissioners and said, you're violating my civil rights if I, you do not allow me to vote on a paper ballot, which is funny because it's exactly the wording in the lawsuit that got dropped this week in Texas that says we have a, a 15th Amendment right to vote, but we're being forced into systems by the government, and that violates our civil right to know that our, our vote is being mm. counted as it was cast. Mm. So as a result <clears throat> of this individual coming and as a result of them knowing that long term they'd like to go to a authentic uh, paper ballot, they decided to utilize the paper ballots that are currently used in um, absentee uh, voting in Tennessee. Okay. And there is a process. There's a law that goes back to the 70s. Let's put it this way. There's nothing in any county in the state of Tennessee that says you cannot have a paper ballot. There's not a law that says you cannot. So they took advantage of that. They checked it all the way up through the Secretary of State's office, and they got the process that they 
put into place, and anybody who wants in Murray County to vote on a handmarked paper ballot can vote on a handmarked paper ballot in this election. So, but that's just Murray County for that's just yes, because all these well, decisions are made by county. Mm. You, yes, but you just said prior to that that there's nothing in state law to prevent you from being able to vote on paper ballots. So what would happen if I went, for example, to Williamson County next week Mm -hmm. and said, I would like to register my vote on a paper ballot? Well, I would encourage you to do so. I think what they would say is we didn't put the process into place, and so we're not equipped to do it. They have the power. It's the will. I get calls from across the state, and right now I'm dealing with a group out in Warren County with the same question They're, because their election commission said they can't do it. I said it's not a question of power. It's a question of will. Right. And the problem is, mm-hmm. is will these uh, these election commissioners, remember they're for pretty much volunteer and the administrators, they bow to the whims and the, and the now I wouldn't say whims, but to the desires of the secretary of state who's supposed to be the, you know, the guy overseeing right. everything. And when we had an election He's commission. He's at Bonnaroo, I was, gonna, <laughs> I was gonna say the same thing, John. He's too busy at Bonnaroo and apparently drinking too much as well. Well, he, oh. the, the issue here, though, That's is good. when we had an election commissioner right here in Williamson County, our election commissioner said, well, when my secretary of state says to jump, I say, how high? Well, that means you're not independent thinkers and you're not taking this as as a county. And I've spoken all over the state. I have not asked to speak in the state. I've spoken to thousands of people in different counties across the state. The people want- That's why I said she's a forceful advocate (laughs) for liberty. Well, I don't know about that as much as I do know the will of the people is they want security in their elections and and they know there's a simple way to do it. This is not complicated. It's actually- what we did when we started the country. Oh, my goodness. They're still doing this in New Hampshire. So, uh, possibly giving people ideas, but Kevin, to your point, if you walk up next week to vote and you say, I want a paper ballot, and they say, can't give you one. Yeah, so that And was... this person has just a bunch of, you know, disposable income. Is this like a lawsuit waiting to happen? And I was wondering the same thing. And what is the recourse if I cannot validate my vote because we don't know what happens in the... By the way, good question. Let's say they would, theoretically, we know in Williamson County they're going to resist it because they don't have the system in place, even though it is my right. How do they count the hand ballots? In Murray County, they still use... All the the absentee ballots are still counted through a tabulator, an electronic tabulator. So is it a different Mm -hmm. tabulator than the one that tabulates the barcodes for the... Yes. Well, they... You have to remember, it's sort of like a, they all have on a ballot those markings on the outer mm-hmm. uh, around them. In Murray County, the the machines are so old, they're less likely to be hacked or gotcha. have a problem. So it's, but it is done through a machine. <clears throat> Do you think all counties still have those older machines if they even wanted to go through the same? Because tra- you mentioned that we're kind of in a transition process in Murray County, not to the fully validated, you know, the images. But going back to the old way we used to vote until they can get there, that would suggest to me that probably all counties in Tennessee have those old paper counting ballots, don't you think? Not all of Well, no. Or do they throw those away, trash them as soon (laughs) as they— Well, every county does have the absentee ballot which is what they're using. There are a few counties, I think there's two. Uh, it's Benton and I, O'Brien, I think I'm saying that right. They do have the process from the 70s. What they have is a ballot that comes, that they have printed and is put in a spiral bound. 
and it does have a control number, but the control number stays in the book once it, the, the ballot is ripped out. They do hand mark those, and they do have an old scanner that scans them. That was the system, I think, that people were trying to work away from. It just goes to prove that it can be done, and mm-hmm. they've never had a problem in Benton County. Hmm. And so, and they haven't had a problem in the state of New Hampshire because that's how they vote. Hand mark into a box that's probably from the 1700s with a lock on it. <laughs> Seems to me that we should encourage voters, um, especially in, well, in all counties, I was going to say Williamson because we live in Williamson, to ask that question mm-hmm. and to note it, sort of like playing a baseball game under protest, right? You mm. can't actually change that game, but you can play it under protest. You're issuing your vote under protest. You make it known to those people in the location where you do your vote so that then you can file a class action suit at a later time if if you have evidence that your vote was not counted uh, in accordance with the way that you registered it. Mm. We, we, have, we still have a few minutes. Yeah, a couple. Because I'm going to throw something at you like it's just maybe off the cuff because I had this come up last night at a meeting, which I had never thought of this before. And I found it to be incredibly intriguing because in everything that I'm, all these big issues we're discussing, including election, I'm I'm starting to ask, I'm asking myself questions. And when I can't answer the question, it bothers me. What's really happening behind the scenes that, so for example, hand-marked paper ballots, ballot marking machines, using paper ballots. Why are we not doing that? Someone brought up to me the lottery. Have you heard this before? So think with me. How long have we been doing the lottery? Like nationally or just in Tennessee? Well, nationally. I mean, just a lot with with the paper slips you mark and you run through the machine, you get a receipt. We've been doing that for a long time. How much much fraud have you heard coming from – how many massive complaints of fraud have we heard about – well, the lottery. Would, would we know? Is there any way for us to know? Well, I don't know. But I mean, has it been on the news? Has it, I mean, I, I mean, <clears throat> where's all the millions and millions and millions of dollars that have been fraudulently stolen from the lottery through this process? Has that? That's that's a that's a rhetorical question, Gary. right? Yes. I think the answer is nada, uh, nada. So all of these years that we've been using these hand marked paper ballots and putting them into a device, and we, we get a receipt and these lottery commissions know exactly the moment that ticket was printed, where it was printed, where it came from. Yeah. They know they know everything about that ticket, right? And it's secure. We trust it. We have faith in it. And millions and millions and millions and trillions of dollars flow through this system on an annual basis. Just like with, currency. Yes, yeah, right? just like currency. Because what you're talking about with, with the no lottery problems. is the same security that we have with currency, right? All of the identifiers. It, it is interesting because— Doesn't it seem to be fairly trusted and secure? Yeah. The common denominator is what's happening. Well, when the government—it's just like what happens with the IRS, right? When— the IRS owes you money. You can't get a hold of them. They wait forever. You don't get interest paid on money that you've overpaid, right? But if you owe the IRS money, man, they're knocking they at your door. They know all be- about it. Yeah, and, and interest and compounding penalties. Well, it's the same way. Lottery, because the money's coming from their pool of money to some winner, they're going to make darn sure that that number was right. And so they implement this system. I think it's a great point, Gary. So, so how is it 
right, that this process has been so perfected and prevents fraud and is so secure, and we can't, tra- we can't translate that simple process to elections somehow. Oh, we can. The question it's is the motivation. Will. Yeah. It's the motivation. Do we want to do it? And and, yeah. and uh, to be really fair, I'm, I want to be fair to the people that work in the election commission offices in the counties around the state and the election commissioners. For the most part, you know, they're doing the best they can with the information they have. This is kind of information, and I challenged an elected official on this yesterday. Why don't the people of Tennessee know about options? Why aren't they given options? Why are authorities over them only pushing down one thing. Yeah, wouldn't that be the Secretary it, it, of State's job? Isn't it incumbent upon the Secretary of State of, of Tennessee to inform every voter what their options are and inform, educate every county commissioner in the election commission what their options are? And what do you think would happen? Just picture that, right? Secretary of State's website. You know, if he wasn't spending so much time at Bonnaroo. <laughs> <laughs> Secretary of State's website, county election commission website, any kind of paraphernalia like um, mailers and things like that, if it actually said, do you know that as a voter, yes, you can vote through the electronic machine, but you also have a right to vote by paper ballot. Can you imagine how many people would be interested in knowing this, especially today after what everybody experienced in 2020? Yeah. The reason they're not doing that, of course, is because they don't want to change the system. Because that that would force change in the system, even if they just notified people, because every single county would be going, oh, my gosh, I had 10,000 people asking me for a paper ballot. And if that's their right, we better make sure that next election we actually have paper ballots for them. And the kind of paper ballot that we're advocating. To be clear, I'm not just saying you go and you Xerox papers. You have a ballot that can be accounted. Every ballot should be accounted before an election and after an election and have marks on them and identifiers. So that is that is critical. And I, I was asked the question yesterday, well, what if we have a lot of people and we say we're going to go to paper ballots and they come yelling at us that they want a machine? I said, we've had hundreds and thousands of people across the state actually going to their election commission begging for the paper ballot and they haven't yielded. But to your point, Kevin, we don't even give a choice. And in America, aren't we supposed to have a choice, a right to be able to protect our constitutional right to vote? Mm -hmm. Well, and and I want to make my vote, my choice. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. Man, that's a, uh, that's like a t-shirt or something. That is a t-shirt. That's good. Um, Kevin over here just being the branding whiz. Yeah. I want to make one more comparison because Kevin, you were talking. You brought up, you know, the fact why why is it incumbent upon the Secretary of State to educate the the voter and all these options? It's the I, w- I want to just show the underhandedness of government on all of these issues. So we actually did get this law passed this year. We but it's as I'm thinking about this, the fact that we had to go back to the legislature and even pass the law in the first place. It's been law for a long time in Tennessee for. Uh, where parents have a right to get a religious exemption for their child for the vaccination requirements in public schools, all right? The issue is a lot of parents are not notified about that option, and schools never notified uh, them. Mm-hmm. They just go get their kids vaccinated. So we actually uh, – we uh, a law passed this last session, thank God, but it's a small win, that now the law requires every local – LEA to whenever they, if they put anything out about 
vaccination requirements for schools, that information must include that religious exemptions are available in the state of Tennessee. They have to make that notification. But even though it's been law for years, decades maybe, the parents all always had to go discover that themselves and then hunt for the exemption form or whatever. Like, where where do I even find this? It's just it's amazing to me that that we have law in the books, and instead of these agencies, instead of it just naturally being incumbent upon every government agency to, in all of these situations, to simply notify, make sure that citizens are educated on the law, they simply just don't tell you things that they may or may not want you to know. You have to go dig it out of the law yourself and then pass another law just to, just to, to make, force them to tell you. To force them to – isn't that – what I, are we doing? Yeah. I don't even know if 100% of it's nefarious. Some of it just by pure laziness by, maybe, maybe uh, so. by officials. Maybe so, John. Maybe maybe, so. maybe that's just a little bit too naive. You're being but, nice. Yeah. So They're good people, be, though, Gary. They're good people. That's right. We are in Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> Kathy, I know we just scratched the surface, yes. but thank you so much for coming and agreeing to do this because I think our audience for sure is going to benefit from what we talked about here today. And then, John, you want to do the invitations as you always do at the end of the program? I mean, Kathy's sitting here today, but Joe Rogan's welcome to sit there anytime he wants anytime. to. Anytime. And so and then, is Matt Walsh. Yeah, the low-hanging fruit, according <laughs> to Gary Humble. <laughs> the so that's on me now? Yeah, you were the know. one that said it, right? Me? Did I say that? Or was it John? That? Wait a second, I, I take can't. that back. Did John say that? I don't know. We're going to have to go back now. I'm going to plead the fifth. Know. That's but, my right, isn't it, to plead <laughs> the fifth? But <laughs> always clarifying, we're talking about geography. Right? Geographical low hanging fruit. Exactly. Nothing to do with intelligence. No. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to the Freedom Matters podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Tennessee Stands, visit TennesseeStands.org to donate, volunteer, or get more information about what we're doing to preserve liberty for the people of Tennessee. You can also follow along on all social platforms at Tennessee Stands. And remember, as revolutionary Thomas Paine once stated, those who expect to reap the blessings of freedom must, like men, undergo the fatigues of supporting it.